This is Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. You are listening to the Carrero Podcast. Today, our first guest is Jessica Gali. Jessica teaches seventh grade in integrated science in Whittier, California. As a first-year teacher, she spearheaded PBL integration for her school. She created a large 13-week unit called Disaster House, where students were given coordinates to build a hypothetical house, usually on the fault line where many natural disasters take place. Through multiple different resources, students learned about the disasters, how they occur, and what structures would withstand them. By the end of the unit, students had learned about weather, plate tectonics, thermal energy, erosion, density, engineering practices, and how to research for materials to build their house. In the 12th week, students created a model house where each material, such as popsicle sticks, represented a real-life material, such as white pine wood. The last week of their unit was Disaster Week, where they subjected their model houses to a mock natural disaster occurring near their coordinates, such as earthquakes, floods, tsunamis, tornadoes, landslides, and hurricanes. To make things even more interesting, she dressed up in a gorilla suit as King Kong and stomped around their little towns with a leaf blower for tornadoes and hurricanes, and kept the costume on when the students performed all of their other simulations. The students still talk about this unit today. She can be followed on Instagram at Mrs. J. Gali, spelled M-R-S dot J-G-A-L-L-I. Thanks, Jessica, so much for joining us today. We like to ask our teachers and our guests how they've developed their teaching philosophy over the years and if there were any teachers or people who helped influence uh, how that philosophy came about. Sure. Um, My teaching philosophy came through my experience as a student myself and then my experience as uh, later on a college student. And then as a teacher, my teaching philosophy actually continues to develop. And, you know, my my story is a little different than than most. I think a lot of people have a certain person in their life that or a certain teacher in their life that really influenced them to become a teacher. And, And I actually don't have that. Um, I had not a great experience in school growing up. I had a lot of teachers that were kind of on their way out for teaching. They were about to retire. Retired on duty? Did very soon after I was, uh, was gone out of their class. So they weren't very excited to be teaching us kids anymore. So I, uh, hmm. I didn't love school. And when I got to, I would say I was about 16, I started to work with students and that's where that um, teaching philosophy started to grow. I realized that um, my students enjoyed learning from me, whether that was in uh, like the rec club after school or the summer camp I was helping run um, or whether I was teaching my little brother's kid or uh, friends. So it kind of developed from there and I realized, oh, people actually can enjoy learning. And so I, I didn't know that I wanted to be a teacher. And to be honest, I totally fought it until I was probably um, midway through college. And I Why did you fight it? You know, I just didn't think I wanted to work with kids every day. That sounded (laughs) exhausting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I started working with students so early um, that I thought, you know, I don't think I can do this forever because I thought, you know, when I got older, I would just not have the energy for these, these, you know, endless supply of energy children. So Mm -hmm. 
I stopped fighting it when I got to college. And I think that's when my teaching philosophy really started to grow. And I decided that for our community to grow, we had to grow our students and we have to teach our students in a way that they can be prepared for jobs that aren't created yet. And when I started to develop that part of my philosophy, I realized I was very interested in science and uh, just how things worked. Um, And so from there, I started to um, realize that I can influence students pretty easily. Um, If you are excited yourself, you get them excited. And so I started to realize that if they were going to be a functioning adult, um, they could, of course, be learning that those skills from their parents, but a lot of them didn't have that at home. Mm -hmm. And so the more I worked with students, the more I realized it's, it's the teacher that's seeing them every day. And for a lot of these students, that's it. Yeah. That's the only person that's really caring for them and, and going to be there to listen to them and show them compassion, but also show them tough love as well. So I think I, I just developed it mostly through my own experiences rather than someone else's. One of the things that that we've that we do understand about um, teaching philosophies is is that they do change over time. Can you can you tell us some of your favorite unit or lesson plans? Sure. Uh, one of my favorite lessons um, was the one that you had mentioned about um, project based learning. And it was our disaster house. I absolutely loved that unit. And I actually just posted it um, recently, just kind of a flashback to some of my students. Hey, remember when your teacher was a gorilla and (laughs) and dressed up and wrecked all of your beautiful projects? And and so they were all excited all over again. I have a bunch of comments on it and uh, students trying to direct message me on Instagram about it. And um, I absolutely loved that one just because they it sparked so much joy in them and it was still school. They learned so much through that. So, um, but you know, that aside, because we've already talked about that a little bit. Um, I, I do love our flashlights unit. Our flashlights unit is where the students will build a flashlight out of a toilet paper tube and a bunch of different materials that they choose. And It's very interesting. And I've actually seen some elementary school teachers. I teach middle school, but I've seen some elementary school teachers do it in a more simplistic way. We give them constraints. Once they finally figure out, they're super frustrated by this point. They finally figure out how to build their flashlight. (laughs) And then we tell them, actually, your client who's going to buy this flashlight from you uh, needs your flashlight to be lighter or brighter. Every group has a different modification or a different constraint. So they're given a, an array of materials and they have to figure out how to make that work. And it's very NGSS inquiry driven. Um, and they, <laughs> we learn, we teach them to not become frustrated with their failures, which is a, right. also a huge part of NGSS as mm-hmm. well. And just, you know, being a person. <laughs> that sounds really fun. Where do you come up with these ideas? Yeah. I come up with them, it usually sparks from something I've seen online, and mm-hmm. then I develop it into something completely different from what the original yeah. idea was, uh, which is actually where the Disaster House um, PBL came from, and and this one as well. They actually both 
came from ideas um, on Oakland Unified School District's website. They have a bunch of activities, um, but they they don't always fit the different you know demographics yeah. that are at different districts. So it didn't quite fit mine. And I made it much more rigorous and I added a lot more standards to our unit. So it started out as a very, it into this very six week unit, which is actually still about half of my other unit uh, with the disaster house. So it just kind of builds from there to be completely honest with you. There's, there's just no way the first time that you plan a PBL unit, there's no way to know exactly how the students are going to respond and how well they're going to think through some of these engineering processes before you actually do it yourself. So as they're working through each activity, I have to modify it. And some of them became a lot harder, some of them a little easier. We realized that if we, if we didn't have enough batteries for my 211 students to be doing this activity, which is very expensive, then they had to take apart their flashlights every day. And they found ways to do that very easily um, and just kind of detach their LED light bulb, detach their batteries, and then rebuild the next day. But that took more class time. So some activities had to be modified from there as well. So when you Um, did these, did you... um design them around the standards or and some of our PBL teachers are like oh it all comes out in the wash like I don't really worry about standards like how do you go about designing and coming up with these lessons to fit you you mentioned the NGSS standards so yes so I use NGSS to drive every lesson and um, some people including my principal, sometimes think I'm a little crazy for trying to hit all of the standards. <laughs> crazy is our theme of our um, so, of our guests. Everyone self-proclaims to be crazy. So you're in good company. Oh, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're in good mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, good. I'm in good company. So I do actually try to hit all of them. And I'm happy to say that this year was the first time I actually did hit all of them. Um, and I'm hoping with everything that's going on with the school closures, um, that I will continue to do the, the units that I've, I've planned. But with PBL, I, I do hit all of the standards that could possibly be hit under that, that DCI, that disciplinary core idea. Mm-hmm. So with engineering, they are not just engineering. They're not just learning through their failures. The whole standards about using constraints and modifying and rebuilding, all of those can be built into a PBL. It just takes a lot more work mm-hmm. and a lot more effort. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie to you, I don't have kids yet. So this makes it a little easier for me to, <laughs> to put in the extra work and, and the extra time. And I have a really great team that helps with that as well. So if we all have the same mindset of we really can do this, we can, we can hit as many standards as possible, it, it really can happen. It's just tough. You, you know, I want to go back to the destruction unit plan thing because because a lot of our viewers probably or viewers listeners probably heard you say gorilla suit and now now their minds are going like this you know just going so so tell us more about your you know about this and how you came up with this design plan Yes. So my PBL about um well that I called disaster house that started with a district PD on PD, a PBL, 
and I was working for a middle school in Los Angeles. And um, honestly, the the PD was just not very good. And <laughs> <laughs> it was like some of them are. <laughs> and yeah. um, and I won't say who did it or what school, but right. it was not great. And so, and a lot of us, you know, you look around and all the teachers look at each other like, oh, this is this is not going to work with the information that they're giving us. And so my partner and I, my partner teacher and I, decided that we were going to spearhead PBL regardless of the fact that we did not have a lot of training on it, basically none. Um, They didn't have any examples for us or our places where we could search for different examples online. And so we actually went on to Oakland Unified's um, uh, district plan for NGSS for them and just looked through their ideas. And we saw this house that was about um, thermal energy And that was really the only standard it was hitting. And it was about a four week long unit, just about thermal energy. And we thought that is way too long to spend on one or two standards. And so it developed into a, oh man, it was 13 weeks of a unit that was absolutely huge. It took up a whole quarter, uh, more than a quarter. And we developed it into covering, I think seven or eight, standards and I mean it it covered thermal energy but it also covered plate tectonics and erosion and basically anything that you could think of with weather and earth's changes and that we could possibly apply to something that would affect a house and so we gave them these coordinates we have our students coordinates that were in terrible situations. <laughs> they were on a fault line or they were near a place that had a lot of hurricanes or both. Most of them were both um, or landslides, something like that. And so we developed this unit and by the end of it, they actually built a model house and every part of their model represented some kind of material in real life. So we actually taught them how to search for house building materials. So by the end, their popsicle sticks represented some kind of wood or their you know, toothpicks, something like that. Yeah. So we built those little model homes and I told them, don't make them pretty, we're to ruin them. And so they didn't. And some of them were, of course, gorgeous with little Lego trees outside the front and, and all that. But we brought them outside and I decided to make more interesting because that's not interesting enough to wreck model houses with middle schoolers. <laughs> I decided to uh, dress up as King Kong and I stomped around and wrecked their houses uh, dressed as a gorilla <laughs> with a leaf blower. It was really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I hope there's video of this somewhere. There is a little bit of video, mostly pictures. Okay. The students, of course, were allowed to have their phones out during this time. Yes. Okay, good. (laughs) That sounds amazing. You mentioned earlier about potentially still being able to teach in this PBL way now that your school has shifted to online with uh, COVID-19 school closures. How are you doing that? That is going to be a lot of trial and error, I think. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually very unfortunate. The The flashlight unit I just talked to you about is was our last unit, and that was going to take up the last quarter, and we just started our last quarter this week. So they are not going to build flashlights this year, which is 
is really sad. They mm -hmm. have all their little toilet paper tubes sitting in the classroom and they kept asking, when is it coming up? And, and now they can't do oh. it. But, but now um, we are going to still teach the engineering standards. We're just going to teach them through online simulations. And so Gizmo is a really good application to use for that. It's a website um, and the students love it. And so for, for different activities where they can't learn something in class or see it firsthand, like photosynthesis, they can use that. So we're hoping to find some things in there. And then I will be trying to couple those with some kind of PBL. I'll, I'll be honest, it is not, it is hardly in the works because this happened yeah. so last minute. Well, yeah. So, so it's still being developed, mm -hmm. um, but we will find a way to have some kind of theme we might still keep the flashlight theme because they were so excited about that, but we'll find online simulations about circuits where they can develop something over time and yeah. modify it. Now, um, during this during this time, Jessica, what are you what are you hearing from your from your colleagues, uh, administrators, parents um, about going from you know face to face every single day to now this to where now kids have to be be up online and, and, and parents may 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 need to serve as serve as educators well i've heard uh, a little bit of mixed reviews i've heard from the younger staff that have been using a lot of online tools already they're kind of excited to use some of the new apps that they've and and that's probably of the positive note i've been hearing from a lot of my parents and teachers, a, a lot of parents, especially the staff who are parents, are even they, they are struggling to teach their students at home in an environment where they normally get to play. So the students don't want to be doing work for eight hours. And some teachers are still having them do that much work, especially the younger students. But we as a team at my school in Whittier, we've decided that they don't need to be behind a computer for eight hours a day to be getting school right now, especially in a time where they're so stressed out and mm. things are so different. And there's probably some tension at home with their parents that are possibly not working and all of the trials that can come with that. We don't want to overwhelm them. But we, of course, don't want their brains to rot and for them to sit in front of the TV all day. So uh, we do have a lot of teachers that are, are really rallying and forming an even tighter community, which is interesting because it's all virtual. Yeah. But that community has started to share ideas much more than normal. Instead of just sharing an idea with your team, they are district-wide emails going out about different apps that people have tried and really liked. Um, I have a couple of teachers that have sent out even little videos um, about how to use an app just to make sure that some of the teachers that don't normally use a lot of technology can still use them. And then it's really nice to see, of course, that all of these different educational companies like Newzella are giving out um, free subscriptions right now for the students. Wow, to use. that's great. Yeah, there are several. I can't list them all, but but there are a lot that are, are out there right now for the distance learning that are really helping us out. So did you personally feel prepared to begin to teach online? And what did you do when you knew you were going to have to 
to prepare for that? <laughs> well, I was in the middle of a textbook adoption training when I got the email that <sighs> I was uh, needing to go back to my classroom and we were going to um, hand out Chromebooks in one hour and they were going to take the Chromebook home and we we're going to be closed for the next week at least. So I had a sub. I It was something I was definitely not prepared for that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, we were at lunch. I rushed back to my classroom and we handed out Chromebooks and I thought, well, what now? And so I went home and looked at the different online uh, tools that I could use. And, and I was, I was a little underprepared. Of course, I, I can't yeah. imagine anyone that felt, "Oh, this is perfect." We will be perfect. <laughs> absolutely right. no hardship. Unless you're already so, teaching online, then you're like, "This affects me in no way." But <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Fred. So <laughs> there, I think having um, the students already familiar with using Cami on uh, Google has actually been really helpful and having them use gizmo. Like I said before, mm-hmm. I really heavily rely on that website. I mean, the, the scientific simulations are really fantastic. So having, having that in my pocket is going to be very helpful. And then I, I knew that they would still get their articles and their scientific text through Newzella because the day before I had found out Newzella was, was going to be free for a while. Other than that, if I had just had that textbook training one day earlier, <laughs> they would have had access to an array of online, mm. uh, just all kinds of online lessons. Um, but the students weren't prepared for that. So once I make some kind of screencastify mm-hmm. or or some kind of video for them, I think I will be prepared. And a lot of a lot of schools are um, have already adopted that textbook program where they can go online and they can access all of their simulations. Their scientific notebook is online now um, for a lot of schools. So I think for a lot of science teachers, if they're already there, they're going to be okay. For me personally, I I wish I had just one more day (laughs) with my students. You're mentioning a lot of awesome tech tools, which I love because tech is my jam. Like that's my expertise. So Where did you learn of all these tools? Like, did you have a really immersive um, undergraduate experience or credential experience or um, maybe a master's program or it's just based on your own interests? I think um, it would be my own interest a little bit because that is what's going to keep you up to date with the new apps. There's no kind of training that's going to say, oh, forever you're good on tech. It's just right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, that definitely helps. But I think actually going to the Q conference, which is kind of ironic because mm-hmm. it's, I think it's right now, I think it just ended today. So um, oh. the Q conference in Palm Springs is all about technology in the classroom. And it's about teaching um you can go to seminars about mm-hmm. teaching students with special needs or just teaching through gaming. And I have a lot of different, um, just different applications and different games that other teachers have made and have offered to share with the world just because of going to these seminars. And then my credential program has helped a little bit. My, um, pre-service classes, I think a little more with the technology portion, just because we had to make a lot of lesson plans. And that forced me to branch out and see what was out there for science, because NGSS was very new 
when I was going through my credential program. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have an NGSS class. I had to learn right. how can I pull in technology experience. I, I'm, it's a little easy to do that now. Now, one of the things that, that you were talking about, and I think a lot of, a lot of teachers, um, a lot of educators are, are thinking about it. Now, if, if we can just get your own take, how do you think this, this, experience now that of which we're going through um how is this going to change teaching or do you or do you think it's going to change teaching well i think it's it's changing teaching in a way that is i mean currently personally i i get very close with my students in a professional way of course but my students trust me and um and they'll even go get a pass from a teacher to leave their class if they're having a really hard time with something during my prep period and they'll come talk to me and or during lunch or during break or after school and they can't do that right now it's not face to face it's going to be through email and so I think a lot of that um that kind of humanistic approach is is kind of it's diminishing it's got a little bit left of it through some of these like Zoom phone calls that we can do with students. But but other than that, it's it's really not there anymore. And I think these students really, really need that, no matter how old they are, especially uh, the younger grades. If yeah. they are only seeing their parents every day and they're not seeing their friends, they're not seeing their teachers, that's where they're learning to be social. Is that school? Yeah, they they're really do need that socialization. And you mentioned earlier too about... Um, eight hours a day being in class online, which is not the case. But like when you are physically in school on like face to face, you're not sitting in a desk learning for those full eight hours. A lot of it is that socialization aspect that you mentioned that is so important to learning at all levels. Oh, absolutely. And I think they're really going to miss that. I think they do already. Our, our school has been out um, for just one week and we, we are out until May 11th. So they just got that email a couple of days ago, and I've already gotten a couple of emails saying, I really miss your class. I miss laughing every day. It's just all of this really, really sad stuff that these poor kids, I mean, they're 12. Yeah. They have so much growing to do, and now they're just growing socially online, mm -hmm. which was <laughs> such a fear of all of us adults thinking, oh, my gosh, they're not getting so you know socializing yeah. enough. They're only socializing through texting and online and now that's the only option yeah and so it's a little scary um to see that but but i know this will pass and we'll all have these crazy stories <laughs> <laughs> to talk about when we come back together and and we'll all start to grow again do you use social media at all with your students or the families Sorry, you guys cut out. Yeah, I um, I would like to know, do you use social media at all with your students or with the families uh, at home? I do. I use mainly Instagram uh, to connect with families and students. And I would say that's that's mostly the students rather than their, their parents and families. Mm -hmm. And I will post a couple of pictures now and then to just kind of show the big fun things that we're doing and 
usually I, I put some kind of sticker over their face, but they know who they are. So they're excited mm-hmm. <laughs> and they can recognize someone's sweatshirt. And so they go, Oh my gosh, I know that's Miranda. <laughs> um, but uh, It's mostly through stories on Instagram. So mm-hmm. that's what the students are interested in those little snapshots of, of seeing their friend or seeing what I'm doing. So mainly Instagram it, outside of the social media aspect, I do use email a lot, actually Mm -hmm. the mass emails to parents where I'll put pictures, I'll put updates on what we're doing because I don't think a lot of parents, well, some of them are, but not a lot are on Instagram or Facebook or something like that. And you have a little bit more control over what you're sharing in that realm through email than you do through social media. A suggestion I was going to mention to you for um, if you do have your students on Instagram, you could do for that socialization piece is like a live video or something to connect with them periodically throughout the day or the week. But, oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I also plan on doing office hours to where mm-hmm. office hours sounds so formal and kind of dreary, but <laughs> for them, <laughs> it will be just times to, to come in and ask questions or just chat. And, yeah. and that's what we used to do mm-hmm. the yeah. first couple minutes of class. And I think having that little bit of normalcy, whether I yeah. do that on Instagram, like you said, or through, through zoom, which is what mm-hmm. we've been using. Um, I think the students will feel a little more at ease knowing that we're all kind of in this together and, and that we still exist because they probably feel so alone. So yeah. especially those that, you know, didn't have a lot of friends at school, if they can just pop on during office hours and see some people and see me, I think, I think they'll feel a lot better. Yeah, I think you're right. Office hours for me seems so academic. Maybe you want to call it something just like a morning check-in or something like that, depending on when yeah, you have it. Yeah, I think it, that would you know? be better. Yeah. <laughs> My friend actually did a, something very similar to that just a couple of days ago. And she said it turned into share uh, share your favorite stuffed animal with the class. Oh, that's <laughs> cute. <laughs> and she has this adorable screenshot that she put on, on her teacher Instagram mm-hmm. of these seven kids with their giant stuffed animals next to their faces and they're so excited to just share with the class <laughs> and to share with her that's adorable so we can definitely do something like that yeah cool. well um as we're as we're wrapping up jessica one of the things that we that would like to do is is end up with um finding out what your call to action is um so what is it my call to action and i'm assuming you mean during this time what, what, whatever you want. <laughs> um, I think my call to action right now is, is giving the students normalcy and giving them some time to, in, to inquire during their day. Because I think right now they're just being fed information. I think there's not a lot of critical thinking happening right now. I think they're just looking things up on YouTube. I think they're watching videos, maybe talking with their friends online a little bit. But I, I think that that creativity that they are normally forced to use every day is going away. And this is actually part of my teaching philosophy is to make sure that students are not having the creativity beaten out of them at school. <laughs> yeah. And, and for a lot of, especially the young students, I think that happens 
way too often. Mm-hmm. I think they they color a little bit and they draw a little bit when they're really young. And then after that, it's, okay, now what can you memorize? What can you yeah. inquire about this? Maybe a little bit of inquiry, but not as heavy in elementary school. And I think that's that starts to go away in middle school and high school. Um, and so by the time they're in college, these new jobs that they're supposed to be filling and these these new things that we expect them to be inventing, that creativity is is not really there anymore. So I think trying to foster that right now, um, and then of course after this is over, I think is really really important. And of course the social aspect, keeping them social instead of just yeah isolated. I think yeah. social distancing and isolation are a little different. So I think right. uh, forcing them to get out and talk would be good. Mm-hmm. Great. I love that. That's really helpful. You shared so many really good tools. I am excited to look into uh, Gizmo. I haven't really experienced that one at all. So I want to go check that one out. So I appreciate that. Yeah, you definitely should. And it gives you lesson plans as well. It's really fantastic. Cool. <laughs> Uh, Well, Jessica, thank you so much for your time today. And thanks for all of your passionate work with your students. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Good. Thank you, Jessica.